Hello and welcome to episode 60 of the Cognicast, a podcast by Cognitech Inc. about software and the people that create it. I'm your host, Craig Andera. Um, our last episode was about simulation testing, and one of the things I forgot to mention was that Mike Nygaard, who was our guest, will actually be speaking about simulation testing at Strange Loop, a conference that's going to be September 17th through 19th. It's held in St. Louis, Missouri. You've heard us talk about it before on the show. It's a really, really good conference. Um, I've been a couple times. I'm definitely going again this year. Got my tickets and everything. Uh, you should go too, and if you're there um, and you found the talk about simulation uh, testing interesting that we talked about in the last show, you can consider attending Mike's talk as well, so you can always check that out. Well, while we're on the topic of conferences, I also want to mention that there is RacketCon, which will be held September 20th. We're talking 2014, of course. Um, the same venue as Strange Loop. It's a conference about Racket, the programming language. It's Lisp, so it might be of interest to people that listen to this show and find Lisps interesting. Um, and at RacketCon, uh, our own Michael Fogus will be giving a keynote. Um, tickets are still available. They're only $30. Uh, you can get those tickets at uh, con.racket-lang.org or just search the web for RacketCon. I um, also want to mention that ClosureConj Call for Proposals is still open and will be open until August 1st, 2014. Uh, definitely be interested in getting your proposal. Uh, we are particularly interested in getting talks from uh, members of underrepresented groups. Uh, so, you know, hopefully everyone out there, if you have anything you think you might want to talk about at the conj, you're going to rush over to uh, closure-conj.org and submit your uh, talk proposal. We would love, love, love to hear from uh, hear from you about uh, your talk related to closure. Um, lastly, I want to mention again that if you have been using our favorite technologies like closure, closure script, datomic, um, and you've had success with those, we would love to hear your story. We've been uh, doing more to tell our customers success stories on our website, cognitech.com, and um, would love to hear your story as well. So you can contact us. Um, just reach out to me if you like uh, at podcast at cognitech.com, and I will link you up with the right people. would love to, um, to chat with you and, and hear how Clojure has been working for you or Datomic or any of the other things that we do. So um, I think that's all I've got for now. So we will go on to episode 60 of the Cognicast. Uh, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cognicast. Today is Monday, July 14th. I guess that's Bastille Day, right, in uh, 2014. And today on the show, we are very pleased to welcome my very good friend and colleague, Tim Ewald. Welcome to the show, Tim. Thanks, Craig. Uh, welcome so, back. Go, Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, it's good to be back again. That's right. That's right. Welcome back. Because you, you came on once before and uh, talked to us about Pedestal, which was super duper interesting. And uh, you're actually here today 
<laughs> to do yet another sort of unveiling of something neat. But before we get to that, there is a question which you are familiar with, which is the song that we play the show in with. What would you like us to use? So uh, I think given the topic, it should be uh, I'll Take the A Train. <laughs> and that's by? Well, the recording I'm familiar with is uh, Brubeck. Okay. Awesome. I, I, I don't know if I know that or not. I don't, the name doesn't ring a bell, but I'm terrible with song names. So this show has been great for exposing to me what a musical ignoramus I really am. So I appreciate you kind of rubbing that in, Tim. <laughs> um, so people are like, okay, that's appropriate somehow. Uh, and the reason it's appropriate is because of this interesting, and at least in my opinion, and I think a lot of people will share that opinion, uh, uh, new technology that we're unveiling on the world as a, you know, by the time this show hits the air, of course, it will be live. And that's something called uh, transit. Uh, and maybe I'll just throw it to you right there, Tim, and we can talk about um, about what transit is and why people might care about it, et cetera, et cetera. So take it away. All right. So uh, transit is uh, the thing I've been working on with uh, our team the last, well, it's been, I guess, a couple months now. Um, transit is a format and a set of libraries that implement this that format. Uh, the purpose is to enable transferring values between applications written in different programming languages. In other words, you know, I have an application that I wrote in Clojure. It needs to talk to something that I wrote in some other language or, or between two arbitrary languages, right? It doesn't have to be Clojure. I say that because that's what I work in for the most part, but between any two languages, maybe uh, Java and Ruby or JavaScript and Python or whatever. I have some values that I want to send from one application to another, and transit is designed to make that straightforward to do. Right. So, you know, people are listening, they're like, okay, off the top of my head, they might say, um, we've already got things that do this. I mean, you've got stuff like JSON in the closure world. We have Eden, although you could argue that doesn't really get to the arbitrary programming languages, but there is, you know, Freshen, like there's a bunch of stuff that does this already. So obviously we think there's some unmet need or we wouldn't make another thing. Yeah, absolutely. So so let's actually start with the the big one, which is JSON. I mean, that's the, the obvious question is like, well, well, I already send stuff between applications. I already send data between applications. I just do it with JSON. Um, so why wouldn't I just do that? And uh, the, the main reason is that in order to successfully uh, convey data with JSON, you know, JSON has a very limited set of types that it supports. It's also not particularly extensible. It's not, it's not really extensible at all. And so, I mean, let's just use an example. Imagine that I want to uh, send you a date. So I want to send you a piece of data that I know is a date. Date is not a basic type built into JSON. So people end up sending dates as strings. And that means that when you receive that data, when you receive JSON, you have to know that a certain field inside it is actually a date. And you're going to have to write code in your application that looks for that string and converts it to a date. And it may be you've got a mapping layer to objects that has a thing, a field of type date, and it, you know, there's some automated tools to do that conversion for you. But the point is, all of that stuff basically requires agreed upon context about you know, what particular fields in the JSON mean. And so you know, our goal with transit is to provide a mechanism that doesn't require either context or schema. So I can send you uh, data that somewhere inside it might have a date. And what should happen is when you read and access that data in your application, by the time you get to that bit of data, it's already a date. It's not a string. You didn't have to know, hey, somewhere down in this tree, I have to convert this thing 
and it, you didn't have to know all the places that dates could occur in the data that was being sent across, right? That's a tremendous burden that applications have to bear in most of the time when they use JSON just by itself. So our goal with transit is to define something that where the data has a richer set of types and the data itself conveys the type information so that you can consume it and produce values of the correct type in the target programming language without having up front to say, we've agreed on this out of band schema that says what's going to get sent, or we've just agreed on the structure and that certain fields at certain points mean certain things. Right. I mean, I could imagine. So, you know, kind of when I first was looking at this, I was like, oh, is this a big deal? You know, because I could do things like, say, you know, JavaScript's got, or JSON rather, has got maps. And maps are pretty flexible. And so you could say, okay, well, if there's a map, it has a type key. The type is date. And then the value might be a value key that has a string in it. And then you could convert that. But that really means that when you're working with it, although that will, that will work, first of all, it's obviously ad hoc, which might be fine. But you, you want to use those dates anywhere in anywhere in your, you know, kind of maybe deeply nested JSON, you have to traverse the whole thing. Like you have to go down, you know, you have some recursive processing that says, well, okay, I might not see it at the top level. I might see it as some child of some child of some child at the top level. And so then you've got to write the code that does that. Right. And so, so those are all definitely issues. There's another big one that you didn't mention, which is that JSON, you know, the, the, the keys in maps have to be represented on the wire or in JSON data, they have to be strings. So, you couldn't use that technique to make a map where the keys themselves were dates. Oh, right. Yeah. Good point. Right. Okay. So, 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 go so ahead. Yeah. let me give one other example. I mean, really a, a, a fantastic example of this context issue comes with any system that's, that's really open-ended. So like anything where you wanted to talk to another process and say, I'm going to ask you a, a question. I'm going to give you a query and the shape of the results from my query, you know, we don't know what they're going to be. They depend on what I asked. So if my query says, you know, I wanted to get first name and last name, or I wanted to get age for some set of, you know, pieces of data or some, some customers, for instance, the shape of those results are going to be different depending on what I asked you. I know what I expect to get because I'm the one who asked the query, right, who shaped the query and sent it to you. But, um, you know, it's difficult to say, like, how, how would you describe the output of a, of a query using a schema or a context? You can't right? Because it's completely open and flexible depending on the question you asked. And so that's a, the kind of problem space where having the data self-describe what it is, like what its type is, is super useful. Other situations where not requiring a, a schema or a context is very useful is if you had intermediaries that process data and then passed it along. So they don't have to know about certain conversions or anything. They can just process the bits that they need to know about. Making an editor that understood the, the data types that were being created um, without having to have a schema that went along with it. None of this is to say that you couldn't also have a schema, right? But it just, it, one is not required to mm -hmm. do this with transit. Hmm. Okay, so, right. So that makes a lot of sense, and uh, at least to me. <laughs> and um, I think one of the questions people might sort of next naturally ask is, okay, so what about the arbitrary programming language to arbitrary programming language aspect? Because... Like I said, there's actually technologies that, that do this already. We we have in the closure world, um, and in the and in the Java world to some degree too. We have um, things like uh, Freshen, that Stu talked about at Closure Conj, and Eden, which has been around for quite a bit longer. You know, those both fulfill all those needs. They're schemaless. They have 
rich type systems that are extensible. So, so, so I think the best way to answer that question is to really get into, you know, kind of the next level down. We talked about what the motivation for transit is, but let's talk about how it works. Because the, the challenge with both those formats, really, Eden and Freshen, is they do have the self-describing data aspect and the extensibility aspects that we're aiming for, that we, we not aiming for, are delivering with transit. But the, the big issue for both is that they are not widely supported. Building, you know, right now there there's a handful of Freshen implementations. There's a handful of Eden implementations. They're they're not available everywhere, and some of the implementations are, you know, they're not they don't perform very well. For instance, the ClojureScript implementation of Eden is written in ClojureScript, and you compare that like if you were running in a browser, you compare that to getting data in JSON and calling JSON parse, which under the covers is implemented in C. You know, JSON performance in that case, obviously a great deal better than Eden parsing performance. So so the issue is if, if Eden and or Freshen were available everywhere with high speed uh, implementations, uh, it might be a different story, but they're not. And so let's talk about how transit is really built, right? So we talked about the goal. What transit does, um, it, as opposed to Eden and Freshen, which kind of go their own way and say, you, you should just build a new parser is transit implements its uh, typing system on top of uh, JSON and also uh, kind of what I think of as a sibling protocol to JSON called MessagePack. MessagePack is a binary protocol that implements the same type system as JSON, meaning it has uh, maps and arrays and integers and floats and booleans, etc. So transit is built to layer on top of those processors but add into them the... Uh, extensible uh, type system that we want to convey richer uh, types like dates. And so, well, so the way fundamentally that it works is transit says, uh, the transit specification says there's a set of uh, core types, which we call the ground types. So that's things like the list I just listed, right? Maps, arrays, integers up to uh, 64-bit signed, uh, Boolean values, those kinds of core things. And there is a direct mapping of those things to native types in JSON and MessagePack, right? So if we want to emit a map, we can emit it directly. If we want to emit an array, we can emit it directly. Um, Meaning that if I looked at the produced thing, it would look, it would be actually a JSON array or map. Yeah, there are some caveats around maps that we can talk about later on, but yeah. I mean, we, wherever possible, we represent the information as the native thing in that format, be it uh, JSON or MessagePack. Okay. And then for things that can't be represented, like we mentioned date, we uh, use a tagging system. So for those things, we encode their values as a tag and a value. For scalars, things like dates, we can encode those as strings. So we have an escape character, a tilde, and then a tag to indicate that this is a date. And then we have the the date value. Um, We could also represent them as uh, an array tuple with a binary representation. And Occasionally, we have a different representation in MessagePack or JSON, but the point is we have a standard way to say, here's a thing that doesn't natively get encoded in JSON or MessagePack. Instead, it's represented as a tag and a value. And the tag indicates what the semantic type is, like this is a date, and the value is whatever format is associated with that tag. And the thing about the values is, ultimately, they all resolve to those native built-in things. So it's a system that says, I can... 
I can send the basic ground things as is, but other things I encode as a tag and a value where the value is one of those ground things. So this is where you'd be able to do the thing you mentioned, which you can't do in JSON, which is have a map with a date as a key because you'd you'd make and say like closure you'd make a, a just a map a closure map that had a date you know an instance of java util date as a key and then some value and then when you turned it through transit into json you would see a json map that would have like a string key but the string would start with tilde and then yep. there'd be some code and then there would be like you know 2014-07-14 or some representation of a date Right. Okay. Exactly. That makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. And so, so in general, you know, the way to think of it is that the process of marshalling and unmarshalling is basically this: you you have some value in your programming language, whatever it is, and you uh, you call your transit library, right? And I said we haven't mentioned this, but we I said at the beginning that transit is a format and a set of libraries that implement that format, and we are uh, shipping transit libraries today for Java, Clojure. JavaScript, ClojureScript, Ruby, and Python. Mm. And hopefully there'll be some more after that. But, the, you know, we're trying to, to hit a, a pretty wide uh, array of languages. Sorry, as long as we're on that point. Uh, okay, so either either right now or if you want to loop back to it later, I'd, I want to hear the story about, like, licensing. Is it open source? And then can people contribute or, like, what, what the story around all that is? Yeah, let's, we can come back to that okay, great. at the end. But uh, so, so in terms of how this works... Um, so you have some object in, in your programming language. Let, it's whatever your native representation of uh, date is. So let's say that, you know, if we were in Java or Clojure, um, let, this example, let's say we have a Java util date. So we walk up to transit and say, I want to marshal this, or I, I've used it as a key in a map to, to build on the example that you were just talking about. What happens is that when transit, when the transit library marshals this, it's walking down through the data structure and it says, for instance, I have this key. It's an object of some type. So it goes through a lookup that's type-based to find a right handler. So it finds a right handler for date. And right handler tells transit, the right handler tells transit uh, what tag to use and what representation to use. So the logic of transit says, hey, the tag for this is T. It's a scalar value. And I ask for its representation as a string. And I put that out on the wire. Then when that data ar arrives somewhere else, and is handed to the transit library in that language to unmarshal, that language sees the tilde t at the beginning of the string, says, I understand that this data has been encoded in transit. I'm going to look up a, a read handler based on that tag t, and that gets me to pluggable logic that knows how to take the value, which was a string, and convert it into some object type that's meaningful in my programming language. So whatever the Ruby or Python or JavaScript or other representation of date would be. So at the core, each of these tags that Transit provides, the ground types, and then there's a built-in set of extension types, right? I've already listed the, the native ground things, but the extension ones that we ship with include date, big int, big decimal, URI, uh, set, list, and a few others. UUID, I think, is one of them. Yep, UUID is one of them. So the idea is that at each programming language edge, right, there's a mapping of the types that are applicable in that language to these kind of underlying semantic types that transit uses. That mechanism, like each library, defines a set of these write handlers and read handlers that map to and from, you know, from the programming language down to transit and back. And 
for any of the extension types, those things can be overloaded or changed. So like imagine in our example of date, like what if your program was written, written in Clojure and mine was written in Java. And so you just used a Clojure instance, which under the covers is a Java util date. I may say on my process, hey, when I receive this, I want to get it as uh, Joda time. Right, right. And so I can register a read handler that says when a date comes in, uh, I don't want a Java util date. I want one of the Joda dates instead. So it's worth noting that, you know, it, it's not a goal. Like we, we can't say, you know, we can't make integer, for instance, the same in all languages, <laughs> or we can't make uh, date behave exactly the same in all languages or URI or whatever. So the goal is to get, you know, as close as possible into something meaningful in the target programming language when I, when you convey something. Uh, and then also to give the programmer the, the capability to override what the mapping is for at least for the extension types. For the ground types, again, uh, maps, arrays, integers under 64-bit uh, signs, um, those kinds of values, uh, you can't actually override what those turn into. And the, the motivation for that is that um, you need to be able to write, uh, and, and we've had the need to write some things that use transit where uh, we want to allow a, a, an application to alter some of the bindings, but we also have some logic that needs to do some stuff with the data coming across. Mm. And so we need to know that for the core ground types, they're always what we expect them to be. So you can't you can't change like what a map becomes. Right, and I and I think if I remember correctly, the extension mechanism is either totally or pretty uniform across the extension types you were talking about, things like UUID that ship in the box. And the ability to add your own. Is, am I right about that? Or is it, what's the yeah, step there? Yeah, absolutely. So, so the way to think of it is there's a ground set of types that are just built in. Then there's a set of extensions that uh, ship in the libraries. And then you can add more. Uh, but the mechanism that you would use for your own application is exactly the same as the one that we used for those internal things. And so to, to describe that, I mean, the example that I like to use is, um, is a point. Right. Mm. Cause you know me, I'm always trying to get my point across. Oh, Tim, I gotta, <laughs> I have to talk to Russ and see if I can get him to edit out your puns. Although I'm afraid this show. So, would... uh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. So, so let's say we had a system where we wanted to convey points, meaning, you know, an X and Y value from the Cartesian coordinate system. What we would do at the transit level is say, you know, what you need to do is say, I'm going to make an extension type and I need to give it a tag. And the tag we would tend to use in, is, is the string point or PT or whatever. It's some string more than one character. So let's say it's point. And then we would define a representation. And we might say the representation is an array of two values, both of which are integers. So remember, arrays and integers are supported ground types. And the tag, right, when we said when we make an extension, we define a tag and then a representation of our data into some, into some ground type. So we would specify that as the definition of our extension. This is, in a sense, having to know that, that's really sort of the one place that you might consider transit as having a schema. Like if I was sending this to you, you would need to know that. You mean you would need to know that a thing a called thing point called has point. this semantics? Yes, but there is a, there is a special uh, thing that we really have to emphasize here, which is that if you didn't know that, the behavior of a transit library is to package that information into a generic object that gets handed back to you. So we have this generic type called tag value, which we use to represent anything that we couldn't decode or couldn't uh, process. If you didn't agree 
on this extension, uh, that doesn't mean you can't process the data. You just uh, don't map it to anything in your own language. So you could do stuff like, say, say there's some sort of logging filter could get the message as it goes by and it could um, elide any value with a key called password. Yeah, things along those lines. I mean, I thought you were going to go somewhere else, which is you could um, you could build a, a, a generic logging thing that wouldn't have to know anything about these extensions, right, about any specific extensions, but could still log them. Right, and uh, pass them along. Even modified, though, was my point. Like, it could actually work with that data and do something to it that would retain, it would not affect the semantics of the pieces that it didn't understand and didn't touch. Right, like one thing you might do if you were worried about logging the values is you would get these extension types as a tag value. You could log the tag and elide the value. Mm -hmm. Something along those lines. But so so having defined this transit level, we're going to call this thing a point and it's going to have this representation, then in any programming languages you're using, you write a write handler that goes from your in-memory representation to that that says, so let's say you had a, a point object in your programming language, you would say, oh, the write handler makes that guy's tag the, the string point and his representation array of two ints. And then you'd have a read handler that says, hey, if you got the tag point, then you'd call this function, you'd pass it the array of two ints, and the function will convert it into whatever, whatever type is appropriate in that programming language. And that's all from the perspective of the, um, the receiver, is they just registered something, and then they just called deserialize, and they got back, or whatever the function is name, I don't know, but... Yes, that's they, right. They, they just read the, the byte stream. Um, it's worth noting at this point, I meant to mention this earlier, but there, there's no part of transit that defines how byte streams get conveyed. So mm. transit is really a mechanism for saying, I have some data and I want to turn it into bytes. And I have some bytes that I want to, you know, so I want to marshal this data into these bytes. And I want to unmarshal these bytes back into, you know, data in my programming language. How you actually convey the bytes over HTTP, TCP, in a file, whatever, uh, transit doesn't know or care. Yeah, you could print them out. <laughs> or what do we used to always say? Carrier pigeon, right? Right. Okay, cool. So I think I, I get all that. And that sounds, I mean, I, I think it's I think it's compelling. Although um, I have, I wonder if I could ask you to make a couple more uh, comparisons, two in particular, um, that, that might help um, me or our listeners understand this more clearly. So the, the two formats that come to mind that I'd love to hear comment on are um, Freshen and um, XML, actually. So I, I wonder if you'd mind commenting on those. Well, let's actually talk about Eden, too. So you mentioned okay. that a couple times. So, you know, obviously, closure programmers are familiar with Eden. And you might say, so what, you know, what's the difference between these two? And really, uh, Transit, because it's implemented on top of JSON or MessagePack, which are, in general, you know, the, the, the underlying JSON and MessagePack parsers are, are very fast. And so performance is better using, like, let, let's have a concrete example of um, a Clojure app talking to a Clojure script app running in the browser, right? The performance of uh, transit over JSON to reach the browser is significantly better than conveying data as Eden because in the browser, you, you can run the JSON parse using the C-based parser that's built into the browser as opposed to running the Eden parser that's written entirely in ClojureScript mm -hmm. and is running on the JavaScript engine. So there is a significant performance benefit. The flip side is that Eden is definitely more readable, uh, especially for Clojure programmers. So you know the, the, while the encoding mechanism that Transit uses you know, does represent the underlying data as um, 
as JSON, it, it it's not <laughs> sort of the JSON you would normally write. There is actually a mode that I haven't mentioned at all in transit called JSON verbose. And the goal of JSON verbose is to produce or consume a more human friendly JSON format. So it does things a little bit differently than, than our normal JSON mode, which is really intended for, you know, software to software processing, not for humans to read it. I, One thing to, that, I have to say, though, I've looked at a bit of it and it's not, I mean, it's not that bad. I mean, it reminds me a bit of like reading um, like URL encoded data. It's a little bit more, it's a little bit more room because the data is more complicated, but I find it to be that sort of thing where if you squint at it, you don't, have, you don't have to bust out like a special tool to read it. You could actually parse through simple to, to medium complicated transit encoded stuff and, and, and be able to tell by look, just by looking at it, what it's getting at. Right. Yeah. Anyway, so, sorry. Um, Go ahead. Well, so I was going to say one thing that I, you know, we haven't talked at all about yet is one of the other things that transit does in addition to encoding is it supports a basic model for caching values where mm -hmm. it says, you know, if there are values that appear a lot and the, the, the most obvious case is keys and maps, you know, let, let's imagine you, what you wanted to send was a list or an array or sequence or whatever of maps where the keys were going to be the same in every single map. Where in traditional JSON, you would encode those over and over again as the whatever the key value was. In transit, those get sent initially as a key value, but then that value, there is a cache code is substituted. So both the writer and the reader um, under have a common caching model that basically allows the writer to start substituting cache codes for keywords and, and uh, strings used as map keys. The end result is that that can significantly shorten the amount of data that you have to send, so shrink the overall count of bytes. And so there, there are some significant performance benefits to that in terms of transferring large data that has that particular pattern. Right? So the value of caching might vary by use case, but there are cases where it provides a huge benefit. Yeah, I, I think... Um, uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, that, that's another example, though, of where it becomes less readable. Like reading something that has cache codes in, in it is significantly uh, more difficult than reading Eden. Right. Or this JSON verbose mode that Transit also supports. Right, it's kind of like um, like JavaScript or any other language minification. It's crushing it down, and the ability for humans to decode it goes down. But but I thought it was interesting that um, there are cases, um, and I think they I think they correspond reasonably well to real world cases. You can correct me uh, or you know amplify my opinion on that. But where take some data, some notional. Say it's a bunch of person objects, right? So you've got first name, last name, and you're representing them as maps, and you've got a whole bunch of them. And because of that compression, the naive JSON encoding is actually uh, slower than if you do the same thing over transit with caching enabled, which is, it's always impressive to me. Like this is, we made this comment on the show with uh, David Nolan about Ohm. It's always impressive to me when a thing on a thing can be faster than just the thing. That just always <laughs> seems like a cool... Yeah, it drives Philippe Kahn crazy. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, it, I, I don't want to get too far into saying, you know, it, you got to be careful making claims yeah. about how performance might work out. Absolutely. But definitely, transit is designed to have good performance. It can hold its own, you know, on a case-by-case -case basis. Are there going to be systems that are faster if you just sent JSON? Possibly, although it's important to measure the time it takes to do any decoding of values that your app used to do by hand, right? right like finding right. all those dates in a tree that you don't that you don't have to do with transit. But we're very happy with the performance, certainly. Okay. So you know we've gone around talking about a bunch of different formats. So we're talking about the relationship to Eden, 
from a um, from a readability perspective and in some in, in and being faster, transit is less readable but faster. Um, and you'd also mentioned Freshen. Freshen is faster still, but it is really only supported in uh, Clojure and Java. And I believe there's a, a C-sharp implementation. There may be others that I'm unaware of. But the, the challenge there is building a, a fast Freshen implementation is, is a significant amount of work. And you know one of the goals here for us of riding on top of JSON or message pack is that there are good high-performance parsers for those languages or for those formats available really everywhere. So very much in building transit, we wanted to take advantage of that existing base, right? Instead of saying, oh, well, step one is you have to go build a high performance parser in C sitting under Ruby or sitting under Python um, or sitting under Node. And in the browser, it wouldn't help you because I mean, maybe there's a way to get down there in, in some browsers, right? I don't know. But you know, by designing something that, that runs on top of JSON or message pack, it means we get to take advantage of all of the work that's being poured into the V8 engine and all the other JavaScript engines. And that, that infrastructure has had a ton of attention paid to it. So it is, it is the case that Freshen, uh, from a performance perspective, would be faster still, but it's not as widely supported. And I think you could debate whether it's as straightforward to use or not. But that's really the trade-off there. Yeah, and it actually kind of reminds me of something which I think is important to emphasize, and I think you were going to come to this maybe a bit more later, but we think transit has value in systems where there is not a single line of closure anywhere involved, right? Like you're writing a Rails application and you've got a front-end written in CoffeeScript. Like we think that we think that transit is a useful technology to consider even for that application. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we tend at Cognitech to talk in terms of closure. And, you know, with, with this uh, podcast, I think in particular, mm-hmm. yeah. um, it's closure focused. But yeah, totally agree. I mean, this is about wishing that, I, you know, JSON had a richer, extensible set of types. That's, that's really kind of the motivation. And do that in a way that doesn't require having to provide a schema. Right. Um, that's what it's about. And anywhere you think that that would be applicable, yeah, absolutely, you could use transit. So I think there's, a, there's the potential for it to be widely useful. Yeah. Tell all your Ruby friends, <laughs> um, for sure. And I mean, like you said, there's a whole bunch of, uh, of clients, and I know you guys have are thinking about what other languages it would make sense to have uh, bindings in this as well, in addition to the ones that you mentioned that are going to be available on, on the ship date, which is after today, but not very far in the future, we think. So. And it'll certainly be, it'll be available when people are listening to this. This podcast will go out uh, either concurrent with or after the release of Transit. Right. All right, man. Well, sorry, I didn't mean to, to jump no, up no, your, your right. story there. So, Keep so going. you had asked uh, also about XML. Mm-hmm. You know, I, in in many ways, it's it's obviously there's a difference there from JSON in terms of built-in extensibility, but arguably XML's core, you know, data typing mechanism itself is significantly worse than JSON's. Yeah. Right? There are elements, attributes, and text. Right. Um, and you to make sense of that have to apply some sort of either context or schema. I mean, it's really the same problem over again. So, I mean, that that is an alternative. You know, obviously, there's a lot of systems out there that do that. There are standard XML formats for various kinds of data. Um, so, you know, it, it, it clearly people are using it as they're using JSON, right? We just think that uh, as a general solution, the problem for both the formats is that this, this question has to get re-asked every time you make something. How are we going to convey dates? How are we going to say that something's a UUID? 
and our goal is to make something with transit that, you know, we can just agree we'll use transit. And then that gives us the framework that we need to do this for all these types. And we don't have to ask the question every time we start. Could you, in theory, um, I have, this is probably not even a good idea, but I mean, could you, in theory, encode transit into XML? Like if, if you wanted to do it instead of JSON, would that be possible? <laughs> <laughs> Certainly, you could build a, an XML representation of transit. Mm -hmm. I mean, everything. So I mentioned that, you know, native types, where possible, get represented natively. But sometimes they also get encoded. So let's take integers up to 64-bit, right? Mm -hmm. So if you write those in message pack, it has native support for them as a binary format. Um, JSON, once you get integers over 53 bits... Um, <laughs> because, things, of course. Things start getting weird. Right. So... You know, what happens when, when we write an integer type, which we consider ground, is in, in message pack we write it out, and in JSON we write it out as an integer if it's less than 53 bits, otherwise we encode it. And so even the ground types have encoding tags, Sure. even though for the most part they're not used, um, which means that they're in the design of the system you could map to a representation where everything was always a tag and a value if you chose to. Um, and then you could work back from there to say, oh, well, here are a bunch of things that, that are natively encodable in that format. While it's design, the design of transit has been primarily shaped by the functionality of, you know, what's available in JSON, what's available in message pack. There's certainly no reason why you couldn't map it to something else if you chose to. Okay. I, I mean, that said, go ahead. JSON reaching essentially everywhere. You know, it's a it's an obvious place to focus as a as a place to do this first. Sure. I mean, the question my question was not, hey, this is great, except I want XML. It was more just me trying to understand the layers, right? Right. Okay. Cool. I will say no. I will say no more on the subject. Sorry. Well, so I, I, we were we were well into the story. It's super interesting. Uh, what's the? I know you have other things to say. Like, what's the what's what else you want to tell me? Uh. Well, I mean, I think. Main thing is that <laughs> we're excited to be releasing it and have kits out there that people can start working with. Mm -hmm. So you had asked earlier uh, about, you know, what what's the deal for using this? Um, it is uh, released under open source. The plan at the moment is that Cognitech is going to maintain stewardship of it. Um, so we will be working on updates and 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 you know releasing new versions. But definitely, um, we're interested in getting feedback from people uh, if they have issues. That, that need to be addressed, um, all of that. Okay, so people will be able to see the source and they'll be able to say, hey, you know, yep. the Python thing, I think maybe this line should be like this. That's going to be something they're going to have access to be able to uh, start that conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and they'll be able to use it in their own applications under a license, like a typical open source license. Yes. Like Clojure. Cool. Well, that is good. I'm sure people are definitely wondering about that, and although hopefully <laughs> we've answered that question. Yeah, what else? What else, Tim? I mean, what? I mean, this is good stuff. What else? What else should we say about transit? Well, I, I, I sort of feel compelled to tell you the story, Craig. Oh, okay. Is this going to be another? I don't even going to ask. Go ahead. <laughs> All right. So, there are three engineers sitting around, and uh, they're pondering the question of what is the greatest invention ever. And the first one says it's the wheel, because the wheel, you know, enabled humans to move easily from place to place and kind of get further in discovering the world. And the next guy says, no, it was, the, it was the electric light, because the electric light really let us sit up, you know, late into the night, reading and studying and experimenting and, and, and increasing our knowledge. And so it's the greatest invention ever. And the last guy says, it's the thermos. 
And they look at him like he's crazy and say, you know, the thermos, what on earth are you talking about? He says, listen, if you put a cold drink in a thermos on a hot summer day, it stays ice cold. And if you put a warm drink in a furnace, uh, furnace, in a thermos on a uh, cold winter day, it stays piping hot. And here's the thing. How does the thermos know? (laughs) And I tell the story because while it may seem unrelated, it is actually the essence of what transit is about. No one has to convey outside the thermos information about what's inside it. Mm. We don't have to agree that the thermos I'm going to give you has something cold in it or something warm in it. The thermos knows what's in it. And that's really, um, that's really what transit is trying to do. It's a right? thermos. I give you data. The data knows what it is. You'll get the right thing. I, I, I can buy it, right? You, that's interesting. You pour your data in the thermos and you hand it to someone else and they can take a swig from it. That's, that's an interesting analogy. Yeah, no, it, it's a separate question from maybe I gave you coffee and you wanted ice cold lemonade. <laughs> <laughs> but there's no argument about what was actually in the furnace. You didn't, you didn't try to treat the, the coffee as lemonade, but it might not be what you expected. Interesting. And so I guess that's kind of one other point. There's been a lot of interest in uh, both in the closure space and in the JSON space around uh, schemas. I would argue people are really using them to do two separate things. One is convey type information about the data. The other is to define a contract. Transit is really about saying, let the data say what the data is. That's different from whether you need to have something that says what the contract is. Mm. And your perspective on that really depends on you know, the extent to which you're trying to build something open-ended. I mean, really the conversation about uh, schema for contracts and enforcement of that is like a whole other topic that we could talk about at some point. You know, there are reasons to do it. There are reasons to not do it. But, but uh, you know, it's important to kind of separate the two. So, you know, the use of transit does not belie the use of a schema to agree on something. Uh, but for open-ended stuff, like we were talking about earlier with like a query and its results, you care a lot more about the data that was sent than specifying beforehand precisely what data is going to be sent. Yeah, and actually a, an interesting thought occurred to me. You could take one of the existing schema technology. I mean, if you're a closure programmer, I don't know if there's equivalent stuff in other languages, I imagine at least some have it. You could take something like Prismatic Schema or um, Herbert or one of the other technologies that represents their schema as data. And if you're in the closure world, then you're basically done because you have transit to encode it. You can encode both the data and the schema and then on the, in the closure world, you can use the schema to validate that the data conforms to it. So yeah. that's kind of a win for the whole, let's have little pieces and put them together in arbitrary ways. Yes, although I feel compelled to say based on my experience or well, not. Right, that's right. So right, right. I mean, and you, you, you and I have had this conversation many times off the show and uh, right, that's right. But it, it is interesting to me that, that should you be of the opinion that that's what you want, that you have the pieces to pull it off. Yeah, agreed. I mean, I think the challenge there, as we've seen many times in distributed systems, is you can build systems that agree and then get, you know, on a very fixed contract that is specified and verified that way. Uh, but then it turns out to be very brittle going forward. Right. Um, and that that's the risk that I, I always have, or the concern, rather, I always have. That's the risk that I see in uh, applying some of those techniques for distributed systems. And so one of the things I really like about transit is that it doesn't entangle these two things. It just says... I'm sending you the data, right, in in a way that will allow you to to get it back into your programming language in a way that makes sense for you. That's a completely separate question from is this the data that you were expecting? Mm. But I like having that solved in a separate way because I think it is really important to think of them independently. Yeah, it's a very good point. 
So you're, you are neck deep right now in, in finalizing all the many details that go into any um, significant engineering effort, especially, you know, including open source things like, like transit. So I don't want to keep you too much longer, but we do have plenty of time, plenty of tape, if you will, uh, remaining if there's anything else you want to hit before we start to wrap up. Uh, no, I think I'm uh, good in terms of what I wanted to convey. I already said we're hoping people uh, find it useful and give us feedback. Um, all right. Well, then I guess we will. But this has been, I, I think transit is super interesting. I mean, just the, you know, I, I, my perspective is just having looked at stuff like uh, JSON and then having lived in the world where, where Eden exists, you know, I kind of miss those things that Eden brings to the table and transit is a really nice, uh, it takes on aspects of both those worlds in a really nice way. So I'm looking forward to having it in the world so that I can leverage it, even in my, uh, even in my closure programmers, programs where I'm talking to you know, something like JavaScript or whatever. So I'm super excited about this as well. And I think it's also really cool to, as you pointed out, see this as a, a very significant effort, something that we think that has major impact and and that like Datomic kind of goes beyond the closure world. That's always kind of cool because I think there's so much fun stuff that we do that does apply outside that it's it's neat to to, to put it in the world and, and get a chance to talk to new people. So yeah, definitely. All right, well, um, blah, 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 Craig. I get to the, the important thing, which is, uh, Tim, what music should we close the show on? See, now you caught me off guard the last time I was on the show and you asked me these questions and I thought, how am I going to get back at Craig for that? <laughs> and so here's how. I am not nearly as familiar with the discography of Jay-Z as you are, but uh, right. in line with the transit theme, since my understanding is that he takes his nom de rap from the J and the Z lines, in uh, New York City. Of course, I um, could have told you that. I think that you should pick your favorite Jay-Z song to play on the way out of here. I should pick my favorite Jay-Z song to play on the way out. You, you, you're you leaving it entirely to me. Yes, as long as it's a Jay-Z song. Okay, well, I wish I could say what that is, but you know, I'm just such a huge fan that I, I can't possibly pick right here in the moment. Um, I could type into Google rapidly to just pick the first one that comes up, but I will certainly pick something, and uh, that is coming up in the background right now as a... I think it's safe to say unique ending to the show. Uh, while that's playing up in the background, I got to thank you a ton for coming on, Tim. I know that you are incredibly busy, you know, with transit right now, and of course, you know, you're on the product team. You're you've got uh, many, many other interesting things going on that you're involved with. Uh, although I know your role in, in transit has been quite significant, so I hope, we hope that people will like it when they do. Uh, they have you to thank in a big way, and I will I will personally thank you both for your work on transit and for taking the time out of your schedule to come on the show and talk to us about it. So thanks a ton for coming on. Thanks for having me. It was great. Yeah, it's always fun to talk to you. And I think we'll have you back on. Maybe we can um, uh, kick around the uh, schema debate or whatever, but I'm sure we'll find something good to talk about. But uh, in any event, we will close it there. We will say uh, thanks to our listeners as well. This has been the CogniCast. Also where I like to ski, tell by my belt buckle that I'm most definitely from. You have been listening to the CogniCast. The Cognicast is a production of Cognitech Inc., whom you can find on the web at Cognitech.com and on Twitter at Cognitech. Our guest today was Tim Ewald, who's not really on the web at all, so I don't have a Twitter handle to give for him. Um, the Cognicast is produced with help from Alex Miller, Alex Ward, Damian Mack, David Chalimsky, Jamie Kite, Justin Getlin, Kim Foster, Lake Denman, Luke Venderhart, Lynn Grogan, Mark Phillips, Michael Fogus, Paul DeGrandis, Sam Umbuck, and Stuart Sierra. Episode cover art is by Michael Parento. Audio production by Russ Olson. I'm your host, Craig Andera. I also want to mention two more things, one of which is that uh, Tim and I were talking after the show and we realized that we didn't really make a point to uh, mention that the transit was the effort of many people at Cognitech. 
was a team effort. It wasn't Tim, you know, modest guy. He didn't. He wanted to make sure that we weren't left with the impression that this was something that he did. It was definitely a team effort. There were at least 10 people involved in it, so um, you know, thanks to all of them for their efforts. The other thing I want to mention is the closing music. <laughs> Tim caught me uh, caught me a good one there. The song that I chose after looking at a number of uh, choices by Jay-Z was actually a parody song called Granite State of Mind by the SSP. Highly appropriate. It's about New Hampshire. Tim lives in New Hampshire. So that's what's going on with that. Uh, I'll close by saying thanks for listening. See me stopping here to watch this woods fill up with snow My little horse must think it queer To stop without a farmhouse near Between the woods and frozen lake The darkest evening of the year Gives his heart his bells a shake To ask if there is some mistake The only other sounds to sweep A easy winded downy flake The woods are lovely dark and deep But I have promises to keep And miles to go before I sleep And miles to go before I sleep That's some Robert Frost He's our most famous poet It was actually written up in Vermont But it's associated with The 603 where it's a fact I don't know any Hispanics And just one black guy you can go to bike week, that's up in Laconia In the winter months, if they're not Sheffraconia Home of B-O-T-E, our Olympic speed <laughs>